You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, golf fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. Part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, it's preview day, a Thursday to take a look at the Pittsburgh Steelers and the matchups at each position, what we can learn from the tape, the key numbers, and a whole heck of a lot more. Plus, what's at stake, the three keys and the week seven NFL picks all of that and a heck of a lot more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So the Steelers come back to Hard Rock Stadium for the first time since 2016, a surprise Dolphins victory after a 1-4 start to that season that spawned a six-game winning streak for the Dolphins. And it was the first game in a stretch where Miami won 9 out of 10 en route to their most recent playoff appearance. But this part of the episode is to tell you about the Steelers and how they arrived at their current state, 2-4 and four after a big win over the Buccaneers on Sunday in Pittsburgh. This franchise has been a picture of consistency, the model NFL franchise really over the last couple of decades and really even going further back than that. Never a losing season under Mike Tomlin, one of the greatest coaches we've ever seen in this league, a Super Bowl, a countless countless deep playoff runs, and an organization that has drafted and developed star after star. I mean, the way this team has drafted receivers, really going back to what, Plaxico Burris? Or no, he, yeah, he was at the Steelers first. They just, they always do it. Heinz Ward, like that far back, they've always had really good receiving cores. I think it's the strength of the roster right now. But things have changed quite a lot at the spotlight position, right? The quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, enters in 04, plays a billion games, wins a championship, and calls it a career after last year's kind of magical playoff run they made to get in and then to get walloped by Kansas City. So you enter Kenny Pickett, the first round pick, the only quarterback this year taken in the top 85 picks. Malik Willis was pick 86 to the Titans in this past draft class. And Pickett took over as the starter two weeks ago in Buffalo after coming off the bench and injecting some life into an offense that had been struggling at that point in the loss to the Jets when he threw three interceptions. They lost to Buffalo by a lot but beat Tampa behind a strong defensive performance and Mitch Trubisky coming off the bench for an injured Kenny Pickett. Mike Tomlin has said that Pickett's in the concussion protocol, but he will practice and start if he's cleared to play on Sunday night. As for the Steelers roster, it's almost always been about the draft for this team. The quarterback, like we mentioned, Najee Harris at tailback, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and George Pickens, and Pat Fryermuth, their top four passing options, all recent draft picks on the offensive line, a position that has undergone some turnover the last few years, but that's been the position most infused by free agency with Mason Cole, James Daniels, and Trent Scott. 
On defense, a little more turnover from the recent years. Chris Warmly, Tyson Alualu, Larry Ogunjobi joined the great Cameron Hayward. A bit of a mix at linebacker with Miles Jack signing, but also the drafting of Devin Bush, who hasn't played up to that first-round status in his career so far, but he's showing some, some growth this year. And the very, very underrated Alex Highsmith. Minka Fitzpatrick, of course, traded from the Dolphins back in 2019 to Pittsburgh. And then Levi Wallace signed as a free agent. Cam Sutton and Tremaine Edmonds both were draft picks in the secondary. All of this is to say the Steelers utilize really all avenues of team building to construct their roster. Playoffs last year, two and four start to this year. And frankly, I think based upon their records over the last decade or so and runs into the postseason, probably a little bit shy on the postseason success you would expect from a team that has so consistently gotten there. And I, I you know, I go back to that 2016 season when they lost, when the Dolphins beat the Steelers here in Hard Rock Stadium, went to Heinz Field and lost up there in the playoffs. And then Pittsburgh, or no, it was the following year, I should say, in 2017, when they lost that divisional round game at home to the Jacksonville Jaguars, one of their best teams they had with Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, and a obviously much more healthy Ben Roethlisberger back then. And it didn't result in any deep postseason runs. So it's been an interesting study for the Steelers team who's had a lot of success in the regular season, had some postseason wins for sure, but maybe not as many as they would hope under Mike Tomlin. Either way, though, he finds a way to coach that team up and get the most out of the roster that he has, which he is working to do right now, evident by the win last week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We kick it off here. Dolphins offense and Steelers defense, quarterback versus safety. Tua Tungavailoa is back in the lineup. We heard from him on Wednesday, his press conference. You can find that up on the team YouTube channel and catch the highlights of that press conference on the Wednesday episode of Drive Time. In his first game back, he draws a defense that has really struggled so far this season. They're allowing 5.7 yards per play. That's 12th most in the NFL. And there's just gaps throughout the course uh, of this defense in a coverage standpoint. Before we get into the positional matchups here, let's look at some defensive structure numbers. They use the 3-4 front 18% of the time, the 4-3 front 1% of the time, so not really a hybrid look there. They're in their nickel package 66% of the time, and then 12% in dime, which is, of course, six defensive backs. So there's lots of flexibility there. They play off coverage two-thirds of the time and one-third of the time up and press. These are all numbers through NFL True Media. It's a very... Weird defense in the sense that it's linebacker heavy, which not many defenses are these days. They run that 3-4 front more than anybody else in the NFL, 18%. I know it doesn't sound like it, but base defenses are nickel these days. Your 3-4-4-3 makes up you know, usually 10% or less of your overall snaps. For the Steelers, though, it's almost a fifth of their snaps. And even when they remove that front seven member... <laughs> I got stuck there for a second. When they remove that front seven player for another defensive back, it typically comes out of the defensive line. So it goes to a 3-3-5 look. And going back to the Keith Butler days, he was the DC there for a long time. He has since been replaced by Terrell Austin. They still love to put their linebackers in important coverage roles, whether it's zone or man. You will so often find Devin Bush running in man coverage, for instance, against the Buffalo Bills on a player like Khalil Shakur, a, a receiver from Boise State who tested really well, and frankly, it's a match, a mismatch from an athletic standpoint. And this creates avenues down the middle of the field, both for your speed, but also the size matchup. They invite these routes to get on top of the linebacker where he's playing trail technique and can only defend the width of your shoulders when your back's to the quarterback, right? I think between our play-action game with those deep digs and over-outs and crossing routes and then the opportunity to throw high-point back shoulder shots to someone like Mike Gasicki or maybe Cedric Wilson gets involved finally, 
I'm excited to see Tua attack this defense because the throws that I think he excels the most with have given the Steelers defense the most issues so far this year. Last week, it was a lot of off coverage and zone, but I think that had as much to do with the fact that Cameron Sutton and Levi Wallace were down as anything else. They should be back this week, both those guys. When they played against Buffalo together, there was a lot more variety and plenty of disguise in that defensive tape. There was one snap against the Bills with four guys down, one player up in the post, Minka Fitzpatrick, and then the other six defenders were all on second and 10, like a foosball table, just six guys straight across the first down marker, the the sticks. So we need to be sharp in the pre-snap to get pertinent information to see how it'll rotate and change. And on play action looks where the quarterback turns his back to the defense, it's important for Tua to have that pre-snap acumen to be able to apply it post-snap because they will change the look. I just can't help but notice that Flores influence with how they disguise the looks and how they give the quarterback these false keys. It's always been a strength of, of Brian Flores, and he's doing it again this year for that Pittsburgh defense. And last week, despite being down all those guys, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick too, the corners played really one of their, or the defensive backfield, I should say, played one of their best games of the season, consistently getting the Bucks' offense off the field with four-man rushes, off coverage, and just challenging the short to intermediate game. Now, they use their backers in a variety of coverage and rush roles going forward and back. So that's where I think the play-action game can maybe entice them into some false keys. With Tua, we've been over what he does well. His key here to me is IDing his former teammate at Bama, Minka Fitzpatrick, who covers so much ground on the back end and can really erase some big plays and take away windows that you think are there because of his range and instincts to get to those positions. Now, where you can get him... If he inserts into the box or if you get him in space on a catch and run, he's missed some tackles, uh, some of those digs and slants and curls. Maybe we can really expand that yak yardage this week. He has just two misses this year, but he had 17 last year, 14 in 2020, and averages right around 15 per year. So it's been pretty much one missed tackle per game. You do that against this team at safety, it could be a touchdown on the other end like we saw in the Patriots game to Waddle. His usage, 75% in the post, 15% in the box, 10% in the slot. And with Terrell Edmonds, it's funny. You used to be able to just say, well, you know, Minka's 75% in the post. That means that Terrell Edmonds is 25% in the post and 75% in the box. But it's not like that anymore because there's all these two high coverage looks. We've seen the use of cover three expanded back into more of the fold this year. Like teams got away from it, but now you're seeing more of it and the way it jives with cover six as well and and even quarters. Uh, We just aren't seeing the true, like, the safety does this and this safety does that. It's, you know, it's really interchangeable with a lot of these teams now. And Edmonds is in the deep portion of the field 40% of the time with an even 30% split between slot and box. So he is the more box enforcer, but they built, they both will play in the post or, you know, in two high structures a, a lot. And neither of them comes as a blitzer almost ever. 11 combined pass rush snaps for both those guys. They do blitz at a team clip of 24.5%, which is the 20th highest rate, so 12th lowest rate in the NFL. And they have a pressure rate of 16%. That's the fourth lowest in the NFL. This is why I think the Dolphins have a chance to kind of get going here offensively this week. With those safeties and their flexibility, they are really good at getting to those three deep looks with a third, a third, a third of coverage. And then that robber and those two high structures coming down and picking off those crossing routes, which we know is a premier man beater. And that can be the way that defenses counter those very difficult routes to defend. So I don't know if we'll see man coverage is such a a ballsy move against this Dolphins receiving core. 
Uh, if they do that, though, and potentially have those safeties robbing, that could be one way to entice some turnover-worthy throws, but hopefully Tua can avoid those this week and just continue to go after the matchups that favor him. I think it's a fun matchup here for Tua because he's he's obviously a smart player. Then Minka and Edmonds are both smart players. Uh, their numbers, 224 coverage snaps for Minka this year, just 11 targets and 7 catches, a buck 38, one touchdown, and three picks. So he's playing fantastic again. Uh, Tremaine Ed- or Terrell Edmonds, I should say, sorry. 196 coverage snaps. He's 8 for 11, 90 yards, and two touchdowns. And then Trey Norwood plays a lot of their big nickel looks. They do go that 3-3-5 with a big nickel over the slot cornerback. 147 uh, snaps in coverage, 4 of 11 for 58 yards. So those guys are really doing a good job in coverage this year, also defending the deep ball because they just don't give it up all that often. The receivers and tight ends versus corners. Of course, this position group jives with the first group, and Pittsburgh should be getting healthier here this week, just like getting Minka back to practice this week. Uh, Sutton and Levi Wallace are both getting back, and then uh, Arthur Mallett has... They're getting better every single week because they're getting more experience together. And like I mentioned, they seem to incorporate new stuff and more disguises each week. They really put the clamps on Tampa last week with James Pierre and Josh Jackson filling in on the perimeter. Uh, The week prior was a tough matchup with the Bills, and things didn't quite go as well there. And there's this common theme with their cornerbacks that is part of the reason, along with the structure of the defense, for why I think the Dolphins can really put up some numbers this week, I hope, uh, is that their physicality takes a precedent over speed, and we've seen some really athletic receivers make haste against them this season. It's a lot of free access to where you want to go, which if the Dolphins can get that with Tyreek and Waddle, it's a dangerous you know, proposition for the defense. And a precision passing attack like we have seen with Tua can really chew up some yards in chunks, like 15, 18, 20, 25-yard gains. Court, uh, not Cortland Sutton. Cam Sutton ran a 4.52. Levi Wallace ran a 4.63. And Arthur Mallett ran a 4.62. Like, there's not a lot of speed in that secondary. Sutton had an elite three-cone time at 6.81. Wallace didn't test, but on tape, I know a 7-plus three-cone when I see it. And then same deal for Mallett. It's similar as uh, Wallace, probably more than seven seconds on the three-cone. This is a really big opportunity, again, for our passing game to get going with volume. I really hope we can avoid the penalties that stall drives, the drop passes, pass protection breakdowns, misfires from the quarterback. Like, you're never going to completely avoid all those, but if we can to a certain extent, this could be a day where you push for upwards of 400 passing yards if you're sharp and precise. Of course, it starts for the Dolphins with 10 and 17. There's lots of outside leverage where they take away the perimeter, cap the top of the defense, and try to funnel things into that linebacker-heavy defense like we mentioned. They are super athletic at linebacker and rely on those guys to take away a lot of space in those hook and curl zones. So the relationship between the cornerbacks and the linebackers has to be really symbiotic for this defense to really hum at the level it wants to. And for us, I mean, it's not different than most weeks. You know, create matchup opportunities for those guys. If the Steelers take away Waddle and Tyreek, then just go to the rest of your very capable eligibles with the other receivers, tight ends, and backs that we have here. And one other thing I've noticed on their tape with those backers, they play both forward and back a lot. And a lot of that results in that trail technique when they're playing underneath uh, to funnel to those deep zones, which opens up some of those quick pops into the seam, either before the window closes or on that back shoulder look. So I'm curious to see it, but I just, I think a lot of these matchups favor the home team. Some coverage numbers, Sutton 209 snaps, Wallace and Mallet have played 140 each on Sutton, 16 of 25 for a buck 94. He has three touchdowns allowed and two picks. Wallace is 15 for 26, 226 yards, a touchdown and a pick. And then Mallet is 12 of 16 for a buck 97. So that slot position uh, has been vulnerable for the Steelers this year. Let's go ahead and take our first break right here and come back on the other side and get to the rest of the Dolphins offense for Steelers matchup. And then we'll also do the other side of the ball, pick the games in week six 
week seven as well. Plenty more to come here. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Your, hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you know have to do that with everyone you meet? Try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So, what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Back here on a Thursday as week number seven kicks off tonight on Thursday night football with the Falcons, nope, the Cardinals <laughs> and the Saints. And we pick it up here with the Dolphins and Steelers matchup in the trenches. And this is where the Steelers defense really gets a lot of their wins. It's a tough, tough group up front. And it all starts with Cameron Hayward. He's listed as a defensive end, but he plays everywhere. He's a load on the nose, the nose tackle position and their nickel rush packages where he can dent the interior and then create more opportunities for those backers to blitz or ends to twist off of his action inside. It's a big matchup for Connor Williams this week, which by the way, his snapping is fine. He's a great center. Um, that argument was really exhausting on Wednesday morning. Uh, yeah, he's fine. Who He's been very, very good this year. One way you can take away some of those sheer power in Hayward's game is with those stretch runs and then action off of that, like boot and misdirection and some end arounds. So I'm curious to see what the answers are for him. That double teams sticking running backs up into those A gaps, you know, fullbacks up to Alec Ingold, those ends that work off of him. Larry Okunjobi's a monster of a pass rusher. He was a more complete player the last like few years ago, but the last couple of years, he's been more of a uh, pass rush specialist for the Bengals, now the Steelers. Chris Warmly, similar build that he's heavy, a heavy end that can occupy and create space for that second level. Montrevious Adams plays on the nose and eats up blocks like an absolute fiend. Uh, they have, then you have the backers who insert into the line of scrimmage equation as much as any team and that starts with Alex Highsmith he's a total beast he has a variety of rush moves excellent burst he can redirect and play through contact so impressed by his tape he's a fantastic player it's going to be a good challenge for the Dolphins offensive line with the power and strength they play with they want to two gap occupy gaps create chances for those linebackers and that's evident by the production that Highsmith and Miles Jack have more on that here in just a moment but we can you know move a if we can move the line and get pushed that wants to play that way, we did a pretty good job with that against the Jets. have had some moments this year where it wasn't quite as successful, but if they can get the push against this team, again, I think that that will open up a lot of things for this offense. Uh, Teron, if he can play versus Highsmith, is a great matchup. And one of those instances where we are so fortunate to have Teron Armstead against these, you know, top-of-the-line rushers. We saw the impact last week, so hopefully he can go and give us a full game. With him, you know, totally comfortable. Without him, the game plan has to change a little bit, I think. Their quarterback pressure numbers, Highsmith has 19, Hayward has 18, Okunjobi 11, and then Malik Reed 7. So 
Highsmith and Hayward, man, those are the guys you have to really focus on. In run stops, Highsmith has 20 and Hayward has 13. And then the other guys that have the most, Miles Jack has 22 and Devin Bush has nine. So that's the running back and linebacker position group here. And it's Jack and Bush. What a, what a great combo that is. It sounds like a, a bad sitcom as the primary guys. Then Robert Spillane, who gets plenty of run to a bad pun here, but Jack is a jack of all trades. What a great player he is. But running routes behind him is the best way to neutralize him since he wants to fit the run, but also has so many coverage responsibilities that you can kind of exploit the fact that he has to do so much and can, you know, one false step can get him out of position in this defense, you know, quite a lot. Like it reminds me of the Patrick Queen breakdown and matchup we had uh, like a week or back in week number two. That applies here in terms of Miami's chances to get to those advantageous looks with the run and pass working off each other. This is such a dependent deal in terms of the line creating chances, but the athletic traits of, you know, Mostert and Edmonds versus those linebackers is good on good. Their run stuff numbers and occasional pass rushes are effective, but in coverage, Jack 22 of 30 for 152 and Bush 13 of 19 for 159. Neither has allowed a touchdown or has a pick, but you see teams going after their their linebackers and coverage quite a lot. Dolphins defense and Steelers offense in the quarterback versus safety position matchup here. It's the third start for Kenny Pickett, who came off the bench against the Jets and has given the Steelers offense a little bit of juice. I'm, I'm most impressed by his ability to replace the blitz with the football. His processing is really good for a rookie. Like He got a lot of reps in college, so he took that progress that he made that senior year at Pittsburgh and basically put himself into the first round of the draft and has continued that into his rookie season. That paired with a quick release can really help the Steelers stay on schedule, and that's what the Dolphins have to try to avoid here. The best way to take him out of that rhythm is to stop the run and get them into long down and distances and, of course, be able to confuse him with regards to where the blitz is coming from. It's a fun chess match for he and Josh Boyer this week. Their personnel is 75% 11. That's one back, one tight end, three receivers and 19% 12 personnel, which is one back, two tight ends, two receivers, and just a little bit of everything else sprinkled in for a couple of snaps here and there. It's a lot of condensed formations, stacks, and bunches with motion. And from that motion, they will go with end arounds, jet sweeps, just trying to find ways to get the ball into the receiver's hands. Uh, because to me, that's the strength of the football team, and it's a good way to ensure they get touches. Claypool has eight rush attempts this year. Johnson has four. Olszewski has two. Pickens and Sims both have one apiece. So that is 12, 14, 16 rush attempts from wide receivers. Now, with Pickett, the ball does hang up a little bit. When they go vertical, it's mostly one-on-one to the boundary, the short side of the field, throw a jump ball, and then see if Pickens or Claypool can go up and get it. It's high-risk reward, but if they try X or Javon can get over there, I'm hopeful we can see our second pick of the season, if that's the case. Additionally, I think the accuracy kind of goes off and on. I think the velocity requires him to be perfect with timing each time, which for a rookie is tough to do. So maybe we can jump some routes this week. You have to keep your eyes on Pickett as a runner because against the Bucks, he was smart to kind of scan the front side. If it's closed up, just take off and go. That's a pass rush that can get after you. And he did a good job of mitigating that with his quick decisions. I don't know if you want to spy or not. I don't think it's worth that because it's not like Lamar Jackson or anything, but I leave that stuff to the coaches to begin with. If you're in man and he gets by the first wave, he can pick up chunks of yards. So you don't want to have him run for, you know, 10 plus yards on any given play. But the majority of their stuff is quick game. Backs and receivers on screens and swings. Picket running the football. 12% of his throws are 20 plus yards down the field. Three of those 10 were picked off. Four completed for 105 yards. So it's not productive downfield. 19% of those passes in the intermediate, the 10 to 19 yard range. And then 60% of their passes have gone 10 yards and in or behind the line. He's 83% between zero and 10 yards and an average of 3.8 yards depth of target. So the ball comes out hot. 
Pretty obvious there. Javon Holland and Brandon Jones, I think, continue to play really, really well this year. I'm intrigued by this matchup in the sense that Pittsburgh has not tested vertical all that much. And if you look at Miami's opponent passing charts, teams are not trying us deep. And when you watch the tape, Javon Holland has a lot to say about that because he covers so, so much ground back there. And of course, that helps free up Brandon Jones, who is really enjoying a breakout campaign here in his third season in every aspect of the position. But despite the fact we've been so thin at corner with these crazy number of injuries, I think this is the game where you can perhaps pull, you can pull Javon down to get a little more, uh, you know, gambly, like splash plays with Javon Holland, because I think that's the difference here. They, the need for him to up top reduces our chances at tips and overthrows or him just flat out making a play, whether it's in coverage or coming down off the edge hot, like having him in that, that backfield duty takes away a lot of your chances to do that up front. Maybe this is the week where you can do more of that. For Pickett this year against the Blitz, 73%, 8.1 yards per pass, one touchdown, no picks. That's good for anybody, much less a rookie. Not blitzed, 64%, 5.6 yards per pass, no touchdowns, and four picks. When he's pressured, 42%, 5.1 yards per attempt, no touchdowns, and a pick. When he's kept clean, 73%, 6.5 yards per pass, one touchdown, three picks. So what that tells me is that... uh, they the ball just comes out hot basically so if you can clamp down quickly and get and get incompletions on those quick hot throws you're going to challenge their offense do something that makes them really uncomfortable I think that's what Miami's plan should be here uh, but they're pretty equipped at handling those blitzes so we'll see curious to see what it looks like let's go ahead and take our no let's let's keep going receivers and tight ends versus corners I mentioned this earlier to me this is a strength of the team uh, curious to see what what Xavier Howard's role looks like this week I thought he had his best game of the season last week against the Vikings They don't really pump the ball to any of these guys more than anybody else, but it is a declaration of who their starters are because after Johnson, Claypool, and Pickens, who all play 80% more of their snaps, the number four receivers under 10%. And where I think Miami has a big advantage is teams that play these condensed offenses, the Vikings last week. It allows us to be more creative with our pass rush plan and to disguise better in those tight areas. With Pickens and Claypool, they are both physical and as good at the catch point as they come, while Johnson is an incredibly crafty route runner who has some drops the last couple of years, but man, he also makes the tough catches too. He's my favorite of the bunch. He sets up his routes with timing, sinking the hips, snapping out of those breaks, can align all over the formation. It's one of the harder games for me to kind of guess the matchups. That's before you even consider Miami's injuries at the cornerback position. Johnson is their hot option a lot. So identifying him is a big key. He had he has 55 targets for 295 yards this year, so that's a lot of short game work. Claypool has 35 targets, 225 yards, and he has six contested grabs on 12 opportunities, so 50-50 balls, 50-50, but he's tough. And then Pickens, more of the same. He's caught five of nine contested passes, and he's at 13.9 yards per catch, their only receiver with better than 10 yards per catch. They want to play in a 10-yard box. Try to win there. Pat Fryermuth is also over 10 yards per catch. He's one of the game's best tight ends. He and Johnson are the go-tos in the quick game we talked about. And Miami needs to be able to reroute him and disrupt him because he's both strong as hell and very good at getting off the press expeditiously. Uh, they'll run some 12 personnel. Last week with Fryermuth out, Zach Gentry played 66% of the snaps and Connor Hayward played 47 So they have lots of personnel they like up there. Let's go ahead and take our last break here and come back and finish up this position group, tell you what's at stake, and get to the keys. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. 
Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Back here on a Thursday preview edition. This part of the Steelers roster on the offensive line versus the Dolphins defensive line has undergone a lot of construction in recent years, as we mentioned off the very top. And here's their starting lineup with pressures allowed this year. They've all played 250 pass blocking snaps with the exception of Mason Cole. He's at 245, so they've been extremely healthy up front. But Dan Moore Jr., 10 pressures. Kevin Dotson, the left guard, four pressures. Mason Cole, eight. James Daniels, six. And Chukama Okora, four with 12. That quick game helps those pressures numbers a lot, but they are rock solid inside, which we know Miami has what they have there with Wilkins and Sealer and Raekwon playing some of the best ball we've seen out of him in recent weeks. It's good on good there. If Miami can get consistent knockback, and I think they can this week, it would go a long way towards a really strong showing defense once again here against the Steelers. But their tackle positions have been a major problem for them so far. They put a lot of effort into helping them out. If Pickett has to clutch and hitch up, bad things typically happen there. So if we can eliminate that first read and then unleash Jalen, Melvin, Eman, like I love our chances there to be really consistent on defense this week. We've seen Phillips coming on really strong, rushing all over the formation. The Steelers do give a considerable amount of help off the edge with backs and tight ends. So I kind of like the way our guys can bluff those upfield rushes and then loop inside like Phillips and Ingram do so well. It can force the offense into committing an extra block for a rusher that's just not there and that obviously gives you advantages in other parts of the formation so again Jalen Melvin both very strong in that department this year hopefully you see more of that here on Sunday night finishing up here in the backfield running backs and linebackers and the player that the offense really funnels through is Najee Harris his averages haven't been as eye-popping but man he earns every yard both as a runner and a receiver an absolute touchdown maker a key part of their pass blocking schemes and really just all around good player last week he played 70 percent Warren was the, the rookie was 30 percent so a seven to three workload share there Miami has to play discipline against the screen because in college he ran routes flexed out all over the field but not doing a lot of that this year just 17 snaps from non-running back positions but they screened the ball to him a heck of a lot so it's important for our back to have good eyes and to sift through the trash to find number 22. That's been a strength of Jerome Baker there, so a fun matchup for Miami in that regard. Special teams, DVOA ranks. Dolphins are in dead last, 30 seconds. Steelers are in 20th. Jason Sanders has three misses this year. All of them are from 50-plus. He is 14 of 15 on extra points. Chris Boswell's 11 for 15. He has a miss from 50-plus, two from the 40 to 49 range, and one from under 39 yards. He's perfect on extra points this year. Morstead averages 46.6 yards per punt on 23 kicks. Time and time again, putting teams down deep in their own zone. And then Harvin for them, 44.9 average with 30 punts. What's at stake here? To me, getting up off the mat and responding to a three-game losing streak. And what better way to do that than in the throwback uniforms in primetime when the entire nation, the entire league is watching you on Sunday Night Football. Hard Rock is a little bit different at night and a chance to pick up a conference win, get back over 500 with a win, I think would be a nice little boost to our confidence heading into those two-game road trip uh, out to the Midwest, taking on half of the NFC North in the Lions and Bears. It's still way too early to start looking at standings, but stacking some wins here would be really nice to do that right now starting on Sunday. My three keys to the game. Defend the quick passing game. Take away that first read. Force him to get to a second read. Take away the outlets in the running game for him, uh, for Kenny Pickett, and I think the defense should be just fine. And then three, generate explosive plays on offense, whether it's that way, in the running game, throwing down vertical. Just want to see some fireworks here on Sunday night. My week seven picks for... Week seven. Funny how that works. We're going to take Arizona over the Saints on Thursday night football. Give me the Bengals over the Falcons. That's a tough one to pick. By the way, my record this year, last week was rough. I think I was 
what was it? Eight and six? Yeah. 60 and 33 and one on the season. Cardinals over Saints. Bengals over Falcons. Cowboys over Lions. Give me the Titans over the Colts in that big AFC South matchup to see who can potentially take a step forward as a division champion there. Green Bay over Washington. Tampa over Carolina. Not very many fun matchups this week. Give me Jacksonville to upset the Giants. Give me the Ravens over the Browns. I'll take the Broncos over the Jets with or without Russell Wilson, I guess. I don't know. I'm still, I'm still kind of picking the Broncos a lot, even though they're not playing very well. Give me the Raiders over the Texans. Chargers over the Seahawks. Chiefs over the Niners. Dolphins over Steelers. And the Patriots over the Bears on Monday Night Football. Let's go ahead and get the heck out of here. Tomorrow we have the mailbag, the college football three-pack, my guest perspective on the Steelers, as well as the assistant coach media availabilities. Look forward to that podcast. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfoot NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice. We recorded our Twitter space from Wednesday night. Go back and check that out on my timeline at Wingfoot NFL. Check out the international podcast across the globe that we have here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. Go to the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and some drive time and fish tank content as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy's coming home.